0: Welcome to the Carus Deep and Wide podcast. This is episode three with Scott and Laura Gutwine. A few months back, during a session of what we call lead school in Carus Church, my wife Amy and I sat down and discussed parenting with Carus members and deacons Scott and Laura Gutwine. Specifically, we talked about discipling our children. Scott and Laura have four children, Harmony, Nate, Brant, and Kenya, who's still in the home. They just have a wealth of experience and wisdom to share with us, and I hope you enjoy part one of our conversation with I them. I thorns where my crown was. I'll be weak, but I'm alive from the dust until dawn, yeah, I'll survive. I want to start out by reading from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This will be a really familiar passage to most of you, but I just want to make a few introductory remarks before we get going on the Q&A. But if you have a Bible, if you turn to that, Matthew 28, 18, let me pray as we begin. God in heaven, I just thank you for everyone that's come out tonight. I'm thankful for the privilege that it is to be parents. Lord, um, a privilege, what a responsibility, um, what a responsibility that just fills us with um, so much temptation to doubt and fear, um, but of course, um, so much joy, so, much possi- so many possibilities, Lord. Um, we thank you for that, Lord, and I just pray as we gather here and as we we talk about these things, and especially as we talk to with Scott and Laura, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. We just ask you to work in this night and in ways that will affect just generations ahead, Lord, um, with with kids that know you, who, who become parents that know you, that have more kids, Lord, we just ask you to, to take this moment, this hour or so, and just use it for your great glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Matthew 28, 18. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw them, saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we've heard this over and over, you know, of course, usually around the subject of, of being on mission in our city, or, or maybe you've heard it across the, the world. But I want to talk about it just starting out in terms of parenting tonight. And the thing I want us to all realize and wrestle with is that we are discipling people all around us all the time. Disciple at its most basic idea is a learner, a follower, and all the time we're influencing people. We are, we are making disciples. The question isn't if we are, it's what kind of disciples we're making. And Jesus gives us a command here, a very clear command, to make disciples, to make disciples for him, to make disciples of, of, of himself. Now, to give you more detail, of what a disciple is, I got this quote from a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt that I think is really good. A disciple is one who worships Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, obeys Jesus, and teaches teaches others to do the same. So, if it isn't Jesus that we're making disciples of, you know, we of course we have an, an idol we're worshiping, you know, something that we're extremely passionate about that we're then guiding, you know, evangelizing all the people around us to follow after that that same God. But if we're believers, if we've been changed by him, if we're obedient to Jesus, yeah, we're trying to encourage people to worship him, to be changed by him, to obey him, and to teach other people to do the same. Well, he gives us a command, but he also gives a method. You you may have heard this before, maybe you haven't, but there's, there's one imperative, there's one command in these verses, and it's make disciples. But there's three participles that describe what that means. So you have these three... Three terms here: going. It, it says in the ESV, "go," but it, it's really going. That's the first one that describes the method, and this is so helpful because it reminds us that discipleship is not just an event we have, right? It's not just a, a an appointment you make with someone, but it's as we go. It's as we're in the course of everyday life that we're making disciples. Going. The second one is baptizing. we we're, we're calling people around us to make a commitment. That's what baptism is. It's a commitment in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a commitment to the triune God, but we also believe that it's a commitment into the church, into a community of Jesus. But as we're discipling, as we go, we're, we're calling people to, to the Lord and to His people. The third word there is teaching. So we're, moving, we're, we're trying to move people toward growth. We're trying to, to teach. It says, Jesus says all that he has commanded. So, what's being instructed in there is not to teach the, the Old Testament law, but rather how Jesus is the fulfillment of that law and the gospel as he teaches it and describes us here in the gospels. We're to, to move people toward growth in Jesus, in, in the gospel. So, again, Jesus, Jesus calls us to make disciples of the gospel. And notice here that he gives us this one command that here applies to the whole range of people that we would encounter, believer, unbeliever, make disciples. One thing that I think can be unhelpful is is if we think, and this is so common to think of evangelism and discipleship as as separate things. We go out, we evangelize, we share the gospel, they become a believer, and then we disciple them. It doesn't seem like in in Jesus' words here that He really has a a category for that kind of dichotomy. He's going around whether he's talking to the woman the Samaritan woman at the well, you know or um, one of his disciples in his band and he's he's seeking to as they're going seeking to call them to commitment and just teaching them um, what the gospel is, who he is and but this of course has to take place in the home right as we are um, in our home, rearing our children, but also as we're part of a body trying to, to love our children together. As we're going in life, we're, we're seeking to, to teach our kids. Um, we, of course, are, are seeking to call them, not, not in a pressured way, but in God's timing for them to, to be baptized, to commit to the Lord and the church. And we're constantly trying to teach them what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. It's got to happen in the home. It's going to happen in the home. Again, we're going to be discipling people about something. It could be materialism. It could be the gospel of Christ. Well, as we do this, he gives us two words of hope here. His power, verse 18, right? And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I'm the sovereign Lord, right? I'm the one who, the Father has given me everything into my hand. All of this power, all of this authority is, is on your side. And then he also promises his presence in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not everyone here is a parent. Not everyone here has you know, kids that are a little bit older, but I think even at the youngest age you you at times just feel discouraged hopeless what am i doing i have no clue but he promises i'm with you always to the end of the age we have his power but we also have his presence with us at every moment if we're believers so as christians we're called to a discipleship ministry in your workplace downtown wherever you find yourself but especially in the home as parents Here's another definition from Vanderstelt of discipleship. Leading people to increasingly submit all their lives to the lordship and empowering presence of Jesus. That's what we want to do with our kids. We want to lead them to increasingly submit all of their lives to the lordship and empowering presence of Jesus Christ. From the womb through the the teenage years, all of that, we're going to be making disciples, and are we going to, in his power, lead um, them to be disciples of Christ. Well, anyway, we're going to talk now just practically how do we do that? What does that look like? And Amy and I here are basically going to be interviewing Scott and Laura, and they're going to answer some questions for us, which I'm really excited about, and we're just going to let them them talk. And then at the end, we'll have a Q&A where you can come up and, and talk in the mic. and And this is going to be recorded, which we're excited about, so people that haven't been able to come can listen to it as well. But I think we'll just get started. And Amy and I will just kind of tag team here, if that's okay. Okay, this is a broader question just to get us going. But what has discipling your children look like, and how have you sought to lead them to submit their lives to Jesus and to depend on his presence?
1: Okay, I'm a teacher, so I drew a picture of this. Um, You might be familiar with the cross chart. Is that what you call it? Um, And it has to do with our discipleship as Christians. We start off and our knowledge of sin is minimal, and then we realize just how sinful and how needy we are of God. And as I thought about our discipleship with our kids, that's kind of the picture that I have in my mind. Like When we started off as parents, we knew very little about about parenting, maybe really didn't understand how much we needed Christ in our parenting. And I think the longer we've been parenting, parents the more we realize how much we don't know and how much we need Christ um so it's it's kind of been a process with us and I I think it just if you fit the cross in there it makes us realize more and more how much we need Jesus in our parenting and how much we can't depend on ourselves and for us it's been a process um because I think that a lot of our parenting when we started off was not gospel-centered and um We'll get more into that later as we answer some of the other questions. And then <clears throat> the second part of that, how have you sought to lead them to submit their lives to Jesus and depend on his presence? <clears throat> as Scott and I talked about this, um, the passage from Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, really kind of sums it all up in one big package. And I want you to understand that as we share this, we're not telling you that we've done This all the time in our parenting, but I'd say that as we grew as parents and saw more of our need for Christ in it, I think we began to understand just how much this passage needs to encompass our parenting. And um, this is uh, in Deuteronomy six: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I have given that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates." And I think the thing that stands out for us is that it has to start with us. Um, and these commands are to be upon your hearts. And as we've grown in our walks with God and um, seen more what it means to find our identity in Christ, then we've been able to talk more and more with our kids about that. So I think that kind of sums that up a little bit.
2: Okay, next, um, let's talk about our goals as parents. I know that um, you're going to have a gospel-shaped parenting um, model, so tell me about what that looks like um, for your goals, and then how is that different from other models that you've seen, and what the results might be that look differently.
3: So as we talked about what is our goal as parents, the first and primary focus that Laura and I had was to teach our kids to love God, to teach them what it was to walk with God. And basically, as we... Spent the rest of our time parenting our kids or just dis- discipling them was what? How do we make them come to a point? How do we get them to come to a point where they understand who Christ is and what He is, His desire for relationship with them, and so the the focus of our parents was parenting, discipling was gospel centered, and. <clears throat> compared to other focuses, which might be child-centered or fun-centered or something else, where the goal is to have fun or to make your child most important, our goal was to make our kids realize that Christ was most important and they were to serve him. So that would be what our goal is and how it contrasts to other parenting methods.
0: Okay, so one kind of follow-up to that is is just you think about... Gospel parenting versus um, fun-centered or kind of a legalistic approach—you know, getting your kids to obey. Maybe even for our reputation. Mm -hmm. Um, As you think back to parenting and even to today, um, what does that look like? Kind of in the the day-to-day. How how do you get a kid to to understand um, Jesus over against those other things? I mean, does anything come to mind?
3: One thing that you said is how does it affect us and the temptation as a parent is to think so if my child does x that reflects on me
0: mm-hmm.
3: and to begin to look and see you know okay so my kid was the one that was in the shopping cart at Walmart screaming everybody's looking at me going oh my goodness what did that parent do
0: mm-hmm.
3: and and the goal of gospel son of parenting is not to what did what am i looking like but To teach the child to walk with god
1: and i would say that especially for me i struggled with that a lot like i think in the beginning i made my focus i want my kids to behave because it reflects me and so even though the overarching goal was that the kids come to know the lord and have a personal relationship and walk with him there was still that struggle within me like how do i appear um, and it's just taken a process of time for God to work in my heart, you know, to break that, because it's not about me. It's about our kids glorifying Christ. It's about us glorifying Christ. Um, I don't think I initially understood that as a parent, and that's why I, I drew that picture because I think my my view was just very selfish.
3: But then the practical side of that is how do you? What do you do? And and I know most of you parents here are younger so i'll address that question even and that is it starts young i mean i've seen even being a grandparent now whoop, whoop. <laughs> um <laughs> that as i watched my daughter my son-in-law this he's not even one yet and yet they're still teaching him the importance of being obedient teaching him the importance of authority teaching him a lot of gospel-centered things and it starts young it's not You don't wait till they're six and they can have you know a better conversation or thirteen when we can start using big words. It starts right from the beginning. I watched somebody the other day whose child wanted something, and they just said no, and the child indicated they wanted it, and they said no, and you know the child's not even one yet. Yet it was still that's you know you're beginning that then, and. became a very small issue. The parent won the battle, and it was real simple. If they had to try to have that battle at six, eh, it wouldn't have been so simple.
0: (laughs) Sure, yeah.
2: Okay, as all of this um, on the practical side, I think we're all really, really different personality-wise, and I happen to be, I know, different than a lot of people, and... um, that can be good most of the time, but I'll tell you, it it really does. It's really hard in the heat of the moment, and I'll never forget this moment at ta- at Target. Everything horrible always happens. It seems like at the store of any kind, and I was pushing my grocery cart, had a very young child at the time, and um, that same situation was wanting, you know, the child wanting something in the checkout, and that we all can face our battles at different times. We can choose which ones. And, and, you know, like that that one, of course, I I was in a a good state (laughs) to start with. And I got punched right in the face. And at that very moment, usually I don't focus on what's going on around me. um, But in that moment, I felt like 200 people at Target were looking at me, and probably only one was, I have no idea, but I just remember thinking at that time, things that I heard from my husband multiple times, am I going to focus on my child and what he needs to know at this very young age, or am I going to worry about everybody else, and I know most people have that tendency to turn around and be like, oh, it's nap time, or he's tired, or all those excuses we have for our kids, and yes, he's young, but I'm like, am I going to take that moment to like, Buck up and know that I'm going to be okay. But what's my goal? And it's at Gospel Center Parenting. And I just remember trying really hard. The practical side of me, was like, don't look around because then I'm going to focus on what people think of me. But look right at my child and make sure I'm whispering in his ear what he needs to hear, and that was the gospel. And as I push my cart away, I'm thinking, 400 people just saw me do, like, you know, just saw this horrible parenting thing, but I'm like, I kept telling myself over and over again, this is about my son hearing the gospel, and he hits me at home, you know, and I don't get as bothered, but it really, I will never forget that trigger point, that was first time in public that, um, that I looked bad, I guess you could say, and it was devastating at the time, but it was one of those moments, by God's grace, like, I really learned, things transitioned really smoothly after I'm telling him the gospel rather than worried about what's going on and telling people around me why he just did that.
0: Well, what are some practical things, Scott and Laura, you've done to disciple your kids actively? Um, and, and with that, um, what things just kind of happened along the way?
1: Okay. Um, well, we, of course, had different devotional times as a family, but we have, have to say that we struggled through that because just trying to find the right kind of thing to do with your kids um, is a little bit tricky, especially when you have the big age range. But um, we, with when Harmony was little, we did a thing called uh, walk through the Old Testament. So we kind of started teaching uh, different Bible stories that way to the kids. Um, but... Aside from the devotional times and the different, whatever, books that we used, um, I, th- I think some of my personal, more pivotal discipleship times with the kids was driving in the car and having conversations in the car. Um, Nate, especially, when he was little, was a big question asker. And we, we lived a half hour away from everything, so he'd be sitting in the back of the van. Mom, why is God so far away? I don't. I remember the specific questions, but he would just throw out all these theological questions at me, <clears throat> and I would try to the best of my ability to answer them. And sometimes I'd have to say, "Nate, um, I think that's enough questions for now." But you know, I'll try to look more into that later. Uh, but seriously, riding in the car, um, walking in the park, whatever—like just taking advantage of those day-by-day moments was really probably when most of the discipleship took place with our kids, um, practically, uh, just making sure that your conversations with your kids are intentional. Um, the other thing that Scott and I talked about is just making sure that um, with whatever number of kids you have, try to get individual time with them so that it's not just a, a group Discipleship time, but an individual discipleship time so that you can really figure out where your kids are at, what they're struggling with, you know, how they're doing in school, if they're in public school, um, how they're doing with their relationships with their siblings, um, you know, how they feel like their relationship is with you and where they're at with their relationship with God, and just getting some really deep, good, meaningful conversation with them.
3: And as a part of that, um, one of the things that I found out was an interesting discovery to me anyways, was when Nate was born, he's com- completely the opposite of Harmony. And then Brant was born, and I thought, well, he's the opposite, <laughs> but you can't have three opposites. Mm-hmm. But the point of that is is that every child is going to be different in the way they learn and the way they understand and the way they grow. And so your discipling of your, of your children is going to be customized to the kids, but that requires that you know them. And then, what Laura was talking about with spending time with them, you have to spend time with people to know them. And if you don't know them, then you can't disciple them and really teach them how to walk with God as their personality and their way of understanding things goes about.
1: I would also say that um, when discipline situations would come up, um, that was a really good time to try to use this, you know, teach them gospel principles because you're correcting that child and typically if scott wasn't home i would pull the child aside and we'd sit and talk in the in the bedroom about what had happened and especially i'd say within the past 10 years when i started to understand like heart issues and idols of the heart and you know getting to what the motivation was behind certain behaviors i i think we were able to kind of get the, the kids to look at what was the the heart behind what you did? Whereas in the past, maybe it was just like, don't do that anymore. You know? Uh, that's that's not the right kind of behavior to have. We just started to get a little bit deeper. So just having conversations as issues rose up.
0: When we um do premarital counseling, we always have each couple read a book called Family Worship by Donald Whitney, which I think is a really good Um, resource and thinking about how to worship together and I we do need to aspire to have those planned times and we we've tried it at dinner time, we tried it at bedtime it seems like neither time works real well but we we keep going with it but I the hardest thing for me is, is because I'm very I tend to be very planned and I tend to be kind of a control freak I can say well you know I'm gonna read this chapter whether you like it or not you know so I can check it off my list you know, and sometimes, you know, in a frustrated tone. But it's it's and the, sometimes we're slamming the Bible shut at the
2: end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. In
0: the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> you know. But um but it's it's the it's throughout the day, just as we go, that's really where it's at, and that's the hardest because sometimes I just wanna read the paper and I don't wanna stop and discipline children or I don't I don't wanna take that, you know, teachable moment because I'm selfish and it doesn't fit into my schedule, but those are really the, the key times, for sure.
2: Okay, so talk about modeling versus teaching. How are both of those important and what things do we wanna model and what are we trying to teach?
3: The teaching part is sometimes one parent does better at teaching than others. And in our case, Laura is a teacher and she is much better As a teacher, than I am, and yet we still have the conversation. It doesn't abdicate me from that. It doesn't mean I can abdicate that role, but that means that sometimes there's better fits for different parents. Um, The but the modeling part is where it really hits the road because we've all heard someone say, "You know, your action speaks a lot. I can't hear what you're saying," and. I know that's a not a biblical verse or anything, but there's a lot of truth to that. And that when you act a certain way, your kids are going to model that are going to follow that. And so the importance of modeling is that as your kids see you walk with God, then they're going to desire to walk with God. You know, if you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is say, I gotta exercise, I gotta exercise, I gotta exercise, your kids are gonna see that. If you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is I gotta spend time with God. Your kids are gonna see that. And so as you live out your life, then your kids are gonna see what you're doing and they're going to they're going to, in a way, become little apprentices of who you are.
1: And I think sometimes the two intersect as well because for example, if I had a moment, which I had a lot as a parent where I got impatient and lost my patience, with the kids, that's an opportunity for me to model repentance and go to my kids, which I did, and say, "Look, I need to talk to you guys. I was wrong. I, I blew it. I got angry. You know, I need your forgiveness. You know, here's why, I, I did that. And you know, do you forgive me?" And that's taking, you know, like it's modeling, um, being willing to repent in front of your kids, admit where you're wrong but also teaching them at the same time so the two kind of intersect.
3: And I would stress that the importance of letting your kids see that you're sinners Mm -hmm. is really important because that is one way that your kids will understand that they're sinners is by you being willing to admit, I was wrong in getting angry at you. I was wrong for not doing, you know, discipling you. I was wrong for whatever. And your kids see that and they're going to see how you respond to the gospel in your own life, and they're going to begin to imitate that also.
2: One of the most special memories for me is watching Kevin say, I'm so sorry, Hadley, I got too angry with you. Would you forgive me? I never heard I'm sorry grown up. I, I never heard any apologies ever in my home. And so when I became a believer, I would see Christians, you know, make apologies, ask for forgiveness. But seeing that, like with... Hadley, at such a young age, I started to incorporate. That's really hard for somebody who never really was taught or learned how to apologize. Saying that to a two-year-old can be really difficult. But watching Kevin do that um, is really amazing. And I just started doing that myself. And it's some of the most precious, sweetest moments that when you do mess up and your kid hugs you and says, I forgive you, like those are are beautiful moments. And I was able to experience that. But also, like, when they were talking, I was thinking, too, like, I'll never forget the time, like, we're talking about modeling. It makes me think. There was this time that a child looked at me not too long ago and said something, and I'm like, why are you saying that? That sounds horrible. That sounds unfaithful, and and just no hope there. God's not even in that, those phrases you just said Where, why are you thinking that and they're like mom you say that all the time and i'm like oh crap <laughs> so i mean like as to, i mean they do pick up on everything and so i feel like in those moments what are we learning too and what do we need to repent of i mean it's pretty huge but it also can be really special
0: yeah that that's just so huge that's the type of community we want to be together just confessing our sins to one another and praying for each other and it's gotta be in home in the home cause that's where they actually see the gospel at work. Oh,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Scott and Laura. We will have the rest of that conversation up here in just a few weeks. But next time, I hope you come back and listen as I interview New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner. We'll be talking about the book of Ephesians. See you then.